So, tell me, Al Ruddy, what are you going to do with this fucking book? What, is he deaf? I'm going to make an ice blue terrifying film about people you love. Brilliant indeed. My name is Jim Scampoli. I've seen every episode of The Sopranos in three episodes of The Offer. My name's Jacob Burrows, and I've seen every episode of The Sopranos and one episode of The Offer. Welcome to Cut to Black. Uh, we're talking about uh, Paramount Plus exclusive hashtag Paramount show from Paramount, yeah. The Offer. It's it's about the the Godfather, everybody, and uh, yeah, it's got some it's got some tangential connections to. Uh, to what we usually talk about on this feed, but mostly it's just mob stuff. So yeah, why would we not talk about it when it's got mob stuff, Jim? Yeah, I mean, especially with, uh, I mean, with the Sopranos, you know, the Godfather is obviously something they talk about quite a bit. And also on this show, we did discuss Godfather 1 and 2, as well as Coda, the death of Michael Corleone. I think that's just the name, right? It doesn't even have Godfather 3. It's just Coda. Oh, no, I know. It's, uh, it's actually... Mario Puzo's Coda, <laughs> the death of Michael Corleone, I believe. I don't know. I watched it back when it was called The Godfather yeah. 3, okay? Back Which... when it was shit. And you watched it when it was still shit, but they had some yeah. extra scenes. So, I still have not know. even seen The Godfather 3 proper, I, I, I assume. But anyways, we're talking about The Offer. We're only going to talk about the first episode, even though I have seen three of them. Um, this kind of This show just kind of, like, showed up. I remember when we were discussing The Godfather, we did mention, like, oh... Like, because at first we're like, oh, they're making a TV version of The Godfather. Just assume they're like readapting it or something, which would be insane. And then we found out, no, it's actually more about the making of it. Um, and we're like, oh, okay, maybe. And then all of a sudden it just happened. I mean, I don't know if it's because a lot of people don't really have Paramount Plus. Maybe it's due to the quality of the show. Um, but it doesn't feel like, at least in whatever my algorithmic bubble that I'm in, it hasn't really penetrated too much, but we did want to check in and at least discuss the first episode. Maybe we'll circle back and see how it finishes out on the season. Uh, but I guess first things first, this show is, um, I think, I don't know if he directs all the episodes, but one of the main director and I think developer is Dexter Fletcher, who we just realized before we started recording is Soap from Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Not sure if anyone's seen yeah. that out there. It's a great movie. Uh, and I do remember they have they're fan they're Sopranos fans they would have watched <laughs> Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. He also did direct Rocket Man, the recent um, Elton John film, and he did have to step in for uh, disgraced director Brian Singer to finish up Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so not too bad. I mean, I, I guess a decent record. I did see Eddie the Eagle. I remember that movie as well. Barely. I liked Rocket Man quite a bit, uh, actually. Yeah. yeah, which I and didn't that's see. But go ahead. yeah. And now I was just going to say, it's like um, a few things that are kind of in the uh, kind of biopic, like a film about people who are kind of still alive, but we're finding the story in it, like that kind of thing for, for mm. several of those, right? Kind of a theme. Um, and not that I think we need to justify the connection even further, but I mean, Godfather, uh, the Godfather's influence, uh, the film mostly, but I suppose the book, as we learn about, um, 
it's it's been so massive on the whole genre right like yeah. not only we've talked about stuff like uh we've talked about how actual mobsters like would have changed their behavior and the way they talked after the godfather came out because it was such a hit um we've also talked about in the most recently most recent episode about how the sopranos it came from the fact that david chase it was suggested to him to make a godfather tv show right yeah. so uh, like that and obviously the characters in the show they keep quoting it uh but also like without the godfather you don't have goodfellas you don't have the actors who are in goodfellas who are also in the sopranos there's a whole uh like it's such a significant chunk of the ecosystem the media ecosystem related to the mafia of which the sopranos is sort of a crown jewel right so this uh this show it's got 10 episodes right uh yeah. in total uh it's not uh, quite finished at the time we're recording this uh but yeah 10 episodes it kind of breaks down the making of the godfather um and yeah that's yeah. it's exactly what it says on the tin that's mm -hmm. what they do that's my takeaway from episode one yep they are telling us how that happened yeah <laughs> and the the writer slash creator is michael token um, who also wrote... Uh, he's credited as the writer on Escape at Danamora, which is a recent TV miniseries, uh, well, I guess from 2018, so it's fairly recent, uh, that Ben Stiller directed, which uh, I liked a lot. Um, and, I mean, I guess he also was nominated, or did he win the Oscar for The Player uh, back in the early 90s? Nominated. 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 Uh, he also, for, for uh, any of my other old folks out there, if you remember Gleaming the Cube... Uh, classic skateboarding film that was always on cable back in the 80s. He wrote that, um, and now he's written The Offer. Uh, and you know what you said? Like like you were just saying, if we didn't have Godfather, we wouldn't have Goodfellas, we wouldn't have Sopranos, and you know what? We wouldn't have The Offer either. So let's, <laughs> let's show our gratitude. Wow. Yeah, uh, you're right. <laughs> so we'll get it. Yeah, we'll just talk about the pilot. And I guess the thing is, first off, it's – it's in the same vein as a lot of these movie or not movies, these shows slash miniseries that keep coming out, kind of like the Ryan Murphy, the Ryan Murphyfication of t television, like American Crime Story or uh, Feud or what was another one they did? Well, they did like the well, it, yeah, I think American Crime Story did like OJ. And it also did like the Bill Clinton scandal. Like you take these. I have no. Okay, sorry. I have no idea. Ryan Murphy made Glee. I just had to Google. Oh him. yes, is he okay. made Glee? Is that kind of the, and hmm. I think he made uh, like way back in the day Nip Tuck. I think. But his thing okay. now is yeah he puts out. Well he also did American Horror Story, but they do these like bio type shows, but they're like sensationalized. And even to a lesser mm. extent, there's a lot of these movies coming out. Like Netflix is putting out. Um, uh, there's that movie that's about like the medical controversy that happened. I, I, it's hard to keep up with all these. It's like these things start out as like either a popular podcasts or like a Netflix documentary series, and now they're make yeah. just redoing it as a show. And it's so like weird. Tiger King. Yes, like Tiger King, or even. Which I never saw the staircase, but I know that's one on HBO right now. Like the staircase was a documentary, and now it's an HBO show. It's just bizarre that someone would watch a documentary, and then they're like, yeah. "I want to see actors do that now." Uh, <laughs> but anyways, that's where we're at. Or even there was a recent one. 
that with Jared Leto for uh, for Apple TV. That's based off like the WeWork business here. I don't know. There, there's this is a mm. thing that keeps happening. Anyways, the offer is one of them, and. So it, you're saying there's a sensationalization of rea- like it doesn't feel quite realistic when you're watching it. Yes. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yes, mm-hmm. but it's also I get a weird feeling about these even though I haven't watched a lot of them. But like the weird thing that happens is that people watch like say you watch Ryan Murphy's show on the OJ trial. But then that becomes the conversation now becomes this is exactly how it happened. Even though it's clearly yeah. a TV show and liberties have to be taken to either like make it episodic, to make it a little bit more interesting and dramatic. But now it's like people are telling the stories of a real life thing, but through the prism of a television show. Um, preach, Jim, preach. <laughs> Tell the good people. I, I have a, I obviously have a stake in this game. I, I have a little podcast on this here network called oh, Real yes. History. Yeah where we talk about historical movies and television shows, and we basically break down how much did they sacrifice of the truth to tell a good story. Like, it's always an interesting balance. Like, you should change things. Like, reality Mm. is not a story. You need to tell stories. You need to change things. But the question, like, the thing we often come back to in those discussions is that if someone's overtly doing something, they're kind of signaling that something's not real, then, you know, like A Knight's Tale, they, yeah. we get it. Like, it's not realistic. But it's so clear in its in that it's not realistic that you don't question it. Whereas if something's more trying to pass, it, pass itself off as, like, this is how it happened, then even a smaller mistake or thing that's wrong historically makes it seem like, mm, I don't really trust them anymore. Yeah. And watching a show like this, uh, I do I do kind of feel that because I'm like... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I Googled some things and I was like, okay, I guess this kind of happened. Yeah, sure. Mm. But I was already kind of like, it doesn't feel realistic. Maybe just because the characters don't feel super three-dimensional anyway. Yeah. Uh, not to start us out on a negative note. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, full disclosure, I only started, it's like, a, it's just a sign that I'm old because I only started thinking this way when things I lived through all of a sudden became movies. <laughs> I'm yeah. sh- like I'm sure there was plenty of this stuff when I was younger, and it was just something I wasn't alive for. So I'm like, yeah, this is exactly how it happened, just like the movie said. Uh, but yeah. now it's like things I was a- I was alive for. So I'm like, wait a minute, that's a little different. Um, but yeah, so getting into this, and again, I mean, it's probably gonna skew a little negative here. So <laughs> uh, I will say that I've, from watching three episodes, I feel like the movie gets uh, the movie, the show gets a bit better. Uh, but I feel mm. like this is a rough pilot. I mean, even from the from the jump, dude. Like the beginning, we have kind of like a San Gennaro type festival going on, and we're seeing like these you know classic mobster guys, and they even have like a kind of dumb Godfather joke like right at the beginning. When the guy, he picks up the cannoli and the guy's like, hey, leave the cannoli. And and I mean, I guess this guy that Giovanni Rubisi's playing uh, is a real person. Um, it's, is it like Joe Colombo, I think? Or? Yes. Yeah. But and I like Giovanni Rubisi, but I don't know what he's doing here. I don't know these choices he's making. It's just so weird to think of like the Sopranos. The Sopranos makes it seem so effortless to have just some, you know, connected, made guys, whatever it might be, hanging out and just feeling real. 
and maybe it's because this is a t- different time frame. It's supposed to, I guess if the book hasn't been written yet, it's what, like the late 60s or something. So things are a little bit different, but it just kind of comes off of like, yeah, I'm a mobster and, and, and these guys are mobsters. You know, I'm going to I'm going to gut his fucking son in front of him and kill his whole family if he doesn't pay me what he owes. Uh, it's just <laughs> a little like, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know why it's a it's a weird way to start the show. I mean, I like the idea and I don't even know if this is what they're doing, but I like the idea of coming at it from almost like, hey, the Hollywood's its own mob and then we're dealing with the real mob here. Uh, and I don't know if they're really doing that, but I feel like maybe there'd be something to mine with that. Um, that sounds like a good theme. Maybe they should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, a, I get they're trying to bring us into like the mafia, but it's, I don't know. I feel like you probably would have been better off just starting us with Ruddy, who's our main character. And even in this, it's like hard to even gauge that he's the main character for a while. Yeah. And you know Giovanni Giovanni Ribisi, I um I didn't like he looks very different than he usually does, right? Like yeah. he I guess physically he does a good job of uh transforming into this character, but it is it's a little bit of a caricature and yeah, you're right. It's an interesting choice. Honestly, when I started watching it, I I think I actually googled like to make sure like wait, isn't this about <laughs> the making of the Godfather? Yeah. Not because it is a, like it is a scene out of the Godfather and yeah. I know I know I get that that's based on reality so they're showing that reality, but I was genuinely like is this like what are we seeing here? Are we seeing cuz I, I I vaguely recall that the whole having a gun in the bathroom thing uh, yeah. was in reference to a real event. I'm like are we seeing that? What is happening? But it's it's a very kind of it's a weird thing that a show about the making of The Godfather starts with what feels like a scene out of The Godfather without any kind of separation from it or, you know, like well, indicating how this is different, yeah. uh, if that makes sense. Well, and also it doesn't make any sense because, like, even if that's based off a real story, it was a whole different, like, timeline. It was, like, you know, history. It was, you know, when it was kind of stories... I thought from when Puzo was growing up. I mean, maybe he worked in yeah. some more recent things, I guess. But it's it's what they're doing. It's It reminds me of what the Fargo show did, but the Fargo show did it in a great way. Um, is like the Fargo show would have little nods to the movie or almost like little recreations mm. of the scenes yes. as like little kind of homages without being like, this is it. And you're right, like... I think the biggest mistake, and I didn't even think of it until you, the way you're describing it, is that we, yeah, we don't know how to read this. Are we supposed to read this as this is the actual moment that inspired the part of the Godfather story, or is just them just them being like, "Hey, we know we're doing a Godfather show, so it's like we're playing with the idea because it's a scene later when, yeah, Rabizi's in the yeah, yeah the bathroom and of course it's got the old style like flush on the toilet and he looks like he's kind of you know uh ready to do something you're like oh my god this is like michael but then it, like they they flip it i don't necessarily have a problem with what they're doing there but yeah it's so early that i would imagine any viewer were like okay so is this the this is what inspired the godfather but i don't even think they're trying to say that they're just trying to say like Here's a little nod. Like these are our little homages we're putting in the piece uh, to the Godfather. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and you're right about the timeline as well. In that, you know, the Godfather takes place 
very shortly after World War Two. Mm. Uh, it was published in 1969. I was reading a little bit beforehand of how it took, maybe I think, five years to write it. Um, and we're seeing uh, Mario Puzo in this from way before we even had the idea of it. So we're, I guess, we're kind of in the mid 60s there at the start. There's probably a year somewhere that could make it more clear. But yeah, yeah. it's. It's, you know, uh, 15, 20 years after the events of The Godfather. But I suppose this festival is still happening. Like, I'm not poking holes in it logically. I'm <laughs> yeah. just kind of, it's more just thematically of like, what are we doing here, guys? Yeah. Um, trying to figure that out. But yeah, as you said, we get introduced uh, to a few different characters here over the course of the, the first few scenes. And you're right, it's not necessarily clear who the main one is. So after we see the mob, we're introduced to Bob Evans, who's the head of Paramount, who's yeah. kind of swaggering in. He's talking to everyone. He's wheeling and dealing and making sure everyone's making their movies, right? Um, and, you know, this is a setting that I would be... Uh, like gen like as someone who studied film obviously you have a podcast talking about film and tv like i'm into this sort of thing you know so it should be an easy win for me um and actually now that you said it i'm just like why why didn't they make it more of a theme of how the mob and <laughs> <laughs> the mob is the same as the media thing they just did they never did that not in the pilot anyway uh but yeah he's the head of paramount he seems like kind of a scumbag but kind of a wheeler and dealer um He's not our main character, but he's introduced yeah. second. <laughs> and I know Bob Evans is pretty famous. Like the impression, I, I mean, I I don't mean to like slag off his, his acting. He's doing a good job, but like it is kind of like a pretty dead on. And again, I, and I don't even know enough about Bob Evans, but I just know like when I was like much younger, I remember there was like a Mr. Show sketch that I didn't get. And I found out it was because it was like a take on bob evans and he had put out a book like he's a famous like wheeler and dealer producer womanizer hollywood classic guy so you know yeah that's why they're kind of highlighting him uh, a bit here but what's interesting though too is like and maybe it's because this is just the truth but he's the head of the studio but they also want to make him cool like usually the head of the studio is the one that's like uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola doesn't get that picture or, you know, we, we got to cut out the blah, blah, blah. But they make him like even in these early scenes, he's fighting for the art. Like he's talking about the odd couple. He's like, we're going to we're going to spend this money. We're going to make that movie or we're going to fight for the death of I don't even know what movie they're talking about at that point. Like they're trying to the someone saying that they, the character should live. I'm sure if I knew more movies from the 60s, I get it. But then they have to have like the, like uh, the owner and like his lawyer or whoever the other guy is be more of the system, um, which I, I mean, I guess it's probably just how it was. But it's just I don't know. It came off a little weird because, again, I'm thinking like, is this the main character? But it's like, no, Ruddy's the main character. You, you know what a pet peeve of mine is, is in anything historical where someone is just right about the future. Um, <laughs> yeah, like in this yeah. when he's just like, mark my words, the odd couple's going to save this whole company. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's just a small example, but it uh -huh. always, for whatever reason, annoys me when someone makes a historical thing, whether it's like set in the 80s and they're like, one day we're all going to work from our computers man we're mm. all gonna be plugged up and they're like this guy you've been smoking too much hash son and it's I, it always bugs me because <laughs> it's always us making it patting ourselves on the back kind of in the present tense i don't really know how to explain it but i'm always just like ugh. and then especially when it's like people who 
I don't know, all the characters are so cool because everyone knows, like, the right thing to do and everything to say. We'll get more into that on our main character. But, uh, yeah, just a, a small pet peeve of mine. But just like you said, uh, Robert or Bob Evans is kind of the head of Paramount in that I guess he's running it. Uh, but then we have, like, the business people, the owners, etc. So in if I can draw an analogy to a uh, to a buddy cop movie it's essentially that yeah. he's not the commissioner you know he's he's not even like the the head of the station it's, it feels like because he's the one who who is as you said is fighting for the art uh kind of but also is just a wheeler and dealer um so yeah, yeah. he's he's I, and he's just a great guy loads of great guys in the show and i mean i get i don't i'm not trying to be too like negative um because it's like they they do have kind of a lot to do in this pilot because but that's why I almost feel like and and maybe this is a studio thing or maybe this is a audience retention thing that's why I feel like the mafia stuff shouldn't have come in like maybe it could come in in the back half or towards the end of this episode because it's like yeah we gotta introduce Paramount we gotta get Bob Evans we gotta meet like the new head of the studio who clearly like just kind of bought it like as a rich guy he doesn't necessarily know like the artistic side of it. Then we have Ruddy and like how he's his path brings him to that. Then of course we have Mario Puzo and like where he where his path is. So they do have a lot to do, but that's why it's almost and again, maybe this is like hearsay if I was in the room like suggesting like, hey, we start small and you know, we have a story about Ruddy and like how he slowly starts leveling up and then we start getting into the b bigger world. But I'm sure there is an argument of like, hey, in this day and age of streaming, we need to fucking hook him re real quick. So we need to start with mafia and gut the kid and kill the family or else they're going to flick on over to Netflix or something, you know? Yeah, and to be clear, no one's gutted or killed, but, yeah, you know, no. they, they introduced those, like, themes early on. I think you've really hit the nail on the head with the pacing of the episode. It's kind of weird. I remember watching it, and I was like, there's nine more episodes of this? Because, yeah. like, we we see so much happening in this one that I'm like, it's an hour long. If there was, I swear, with one more hour, you could close out this story because they pack in so much stuff in this one. It would have made a lot of sense to me if the mafia theme was introduced at the start of episode two, maybe. Like, mm. and then there are people who are upset about it. But you know, it they they do have a lot to to try to get in here in a short amount of time. And I think you're right as well. Like, I think there's definitely an argument to say like, like we got to get this ball rolling here. We got to get to the good stuff, you know. Yeah. Um. But it does mean that characters, when they're introduced, they feel uh like they don't really struggle with anything. Like, especially Ruddy, who we will get into right now, because. Ruddy is this guy who works uh, in programming at Rand Computers, wears a white shirt and a tie. All we really see him do is kind of reading him. This scene tells you everything about this character. He's reading a magazine <laughs> yeah. at his desk and his boss comes up and is like, uh, yeah, I need, I'm not paying you to read. Give me no, Those reports should be on my desk by the end of the day or whatever. And he's yep. like, they were there this morning. And, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, good. And then the <laughs> other guy after he leaves is like, stop making us look bad. And he's like, you're making your, yeah. uh, you're doing a fine job of that on your own. <laughs> what's and hilarious. This yeah, this is Roddy. And what's hilarious is because it's like, yeah, it's we're trying to gauge like what, like who is this guy? What does he do? He's sitting at a desk that has like, a protractor on it and like pencils and shit and it's and they're just talking vaguely about contracts and what's hilarious because then in like the next scene he like meets his neighbor who like thank god he had this neighbor because it brought him right into the business but uh <laughs> he meets his neighbor and his name like they like you know a little storytelling trick the neighbor's even like 
what is it you do again? And it's like a perfect <laughs> excuse for him to try to explain. But what's so funny is he goes, hey, I've already explained it 13 times. You think if I explain it again, it's going to matter? And he's like, yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> it just yeah, so made they me don't laugh. really get into it. <laughs> it just made me laugh. Because then it even comes up again, I think, a little later in the episode. Uh, because, yeah, someone's like, oh, someone else is like, what do you do at a party? And he's like, programming. And they're like, they make the joke of like, oh, what network? And he's like, nah, I, I work at Rand. And that, I mean, I guess we get a little bit there. It's like computer programming, but it's like military. It doesn't even matter because yeah. he's finished with that job <laughs> two minutes into us knowing this character. So yeah. Ruddy's the data guy or whatever. He turns yeah. TV writer. He's way too cool. Um, like he's he's way too good at everything and way too cool. And the fact that the real Ruddy is a producer on the show kind of puts me off a bit. Or mm. actually, I don't know if he's a producer technically, but he's got his his fingers in the pot. I think and it. it yeah he, yeah, he might even be active. Like, he definitely has, like, an executive producer. I don't know if that just means because it's based off his book or something, but I'm sure he also has a little bit of a say in what's going on here. Yeah, and I, sh I want to tell a short story about when I was in film school. I did a class on documentary filmmaking, and basically we didn't have many great ideas. We ended up throwing something together where we interviewed four different people about different creative pursuits or whatever and made a kind of argument. It's really embarrassing, the, one of the worst things I put together, I'd say. <laughs> um, but one of the people being interviewed was me, and because we didn't find enough people, kind of. So, like, me being interviewed in a talking head was part of the thing and it was a real learning experience because as the teacher pointed out at the end like viewers are smart like you are you are one of the directors or producers on this and you are also a person being interviewed and it's your opinions are kind of being presented in this but we understand that the person making it is kind of presenting themselves in the story. Like I wasn't be doing a documentary where I'm like, hi, I'm making this documentary. I'm going to go talk to people. Yeah. I was like a talking head in it. And that's obf obfuscation. And it's kind of like people, it it's off-putting to people. Yeah. And in a similar sort of way, it's just, I have no problem with, you know, people making films or TV shows uh, about their lives. It's just that he didn't have to be that cool. He feels mm. like a fan fiction self-insert, like a Marty Stew. And he's dead right about everything on what I mentioned before. Uh, like, when because he goes to this party, meets some writers, meets a hot woman who is immediately <laughs> his girlfriend, immediately yeah. sleeps with her. And he, he just knows understands television and how to write it better than all of these tv writers which is cool like having a talented fish out of water person come in like and that that's a good thing but it's also like he wants to pitch the military comedy and his his co-writer that he meets he he wants to do something else but it was the military like that was the right thing to do um and he has no negative qualities um so yeah yeah i don't know well it's just kind of a lot <laughs> totally yeah and uh i mean we recently revisited the sopranos pilot and it's like it's unfair to compare like any pilot to the sopranos pilot because it's like so good but like yeah. you know you think of that and how it starts you know the sopranos pilot doesn't start with you know tony at the at the dumpster being like, yeah, this is trash, but we are also mafia guys and we're going to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it like slowly brings you into the story about a guy and then you slowly like learn more about him and like bringing it back here. Like when Ruddy pitches in the room, 
that kind of would have been a perfect like if if we saw him more as like kind of a nerd and he gets like maybe dragged by his neighbor and again maybe this is not how it happened but whatever he gets dragged by his neighbor out to a party he starts like talking a little shop with some writers maybe they're goofing on him a little bit but he kind of he has a programming mind whatever he does see the like he mentions that comedy shows have a formula and then, Dude, we're we, we're like <laughs> workshopping this right now because that would make so much more sense. Because you're right, he's there in the room, right? He's saying yeah. that like t- television is kind of like you know it's got a code or like it's like a formula. There's a formula to it, and he talks about how different sitcoms are really the same, but in different situations, different environments, and all the TV writers are like, "Huh, never thought of that." Yeah. Um, which maybe they hadn't formalized it at this point, but you're right. That would be interesting if he's a bit more of a a nerd or whatever, and he doesn't fit in, but he. He's saying these things and it they're like huh what what are you talking about and then maybe one of them agrees they write something together and then in the room he he taps into something more extroverted and like because yes. he does a big thing at the pitch he gets on the table showboats and everything and that's not impressive because yeah. he's from the very first scene just like we said he's already like making everyone look bad in computers then he's making everybody look bad in tv he's immediately <laughs> getting laid etc like yeah. so yeah so that would have been good yeah yeah no i agree like that could have been the moment where we're like okay we like because we're supposed to see something special in him there and like I feel like obviously like in any movie or show, like having a pitch scene is probably like hard to do, but like it's, it's, it's supposed to be this moment where we're like, fuck yeah, Ruddy. But you're right. Like we, Ruddy's already fuck yeah, Ruddy from, from shot one. Uh, so it doesn't matter. It's just another thing for him to also just immediately think sucks anyways, uh, as, as we learn later in the episode, but real quick note, the show he pitches the show Hogan's heroes, um this really has nothing to do with anything but the like the main actor bob crane on that show there's a cool movie about him called autofocus i guess this is kind of in the vein because it's like a real yeah taking a real thing that happened to make a movie about it but bob crane apparently secretly was like a sex addict that used to film like back in the yeah this is in the 60s and he would spend all his money on like home video equipment when no one did that and he would film sex all the time and then they finally nice. they found him bludgeoned to death with one of his cameras, and they still have never found out who <laughs> killed him. <laughs> so, oh, okay. <laughs> interesting little factoid on Hogan's Heroes for everyone. What's it called? Autofocus? Yeah, That's Autofocus is the movie. Uh, it's got Greg uh, Kinnear playing Bob Crane and Willem Dafoe as, like, his friend. Because I think the movie, the like, there is his friend John Henry Carpenter, I think, is, like, thought to have done it, but they couldn't make it stick. But uh, So the movie kind of explores that. Anyways, just a little wow. side, Interesting. Side, side quest. But yeah, the, the show they make is Hogan's Heroes, which is too old for me to have grown up with, though I feel like I've seen it more like in ref, as a reference in Simpsons episodes, that sort oh, of yeah. thing. I did watch Blackadder, which is not exactly the same, but yeah. Um, so Hogan's Heroes, it's about a military camp. Uh, but they make it a comedy. And I was at the start of this, I was just like, are they making MASH? What is happening? Yeah, that's what <laughs> dude, when I thought... they keep talking about military comedies, I'm like, clearly they're going to make MASH. And then they're like, it's called Hogan's Heroes. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess MASH was later or yeah. earlier or whatever. I, I had the same exact thought. I was like, oh my God, this guy created MASH? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think you made a good point as well about like he 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 gets his dream kind of in that he gets to make TV, but we don't ever see them make Hogan's Heroes. He's almost 
like there's a scene slightly like, we're kind of sticking with his storyline now because there's other stuff happening in between but he's like watching planet of the apes mm. at the end and he's all like enamored with it and says like this is what it's all about you know making this actual movies having everyone experience it at the same time that's cool but then he's yeah. like five years of hogan's i'm gonna shoot myself in the face and i'm i don't even know if he means i've been doing it for five years or yeah. i will do, want to shoot myself after five years because mario puzzo is writing the godfather at the same time we'll get into that and yeah. that took five years so I guess he's been making the show and he hates it, but like we just saw him pitch and sell it, and now yeah. he's like, "I fuck this TV business. I want to be in movies immediately." Yeah, you're right. I couldn't glean because yeah, she says like five years of Hogan's Heroes, and you can do whatever you want, or you can make all the money in the world, or something like that. And yeah, I can't tell if she means like you've been doing it for five years, or like hey, five more years. But then he has to be like, "TV sucks. Like <laughs> it's just like working at Rand. I fucking hate it. It's a nightmare." Uh, which is kind of also hilarious because we're watching a TV show and we have our main character being like, TV's the fucking worst. And I, I mean, I know that maybe that's a little joke and things are different now, but it's it's just funny. And then and it's even funny when he's like, you know, only time I ever saw my mom cry was at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah I can't, I can't emphasize enough like the previous scene is the pitch scene in his yes. storyline and then he's in the movie theater saying he doesn't want to make the tv show we don't get a moment in between where he's bored out of his skull writing the same sloppy comedy mm. like over and over like this something about recycling the same punchlines because this it is one of those shows that would have you know yeah. taglines that some characters say over and over and like you know there's ways he could become frustrated with it but i'm really mu very much like okay this guy never has a setback but i'm supposed to sympathize with him because he just managed to sell his tv show on his first try and now he doesn't want to do it he wants to do movies instead of course he also succeeds with getting into movies immediately in his very next scene yes so you know <laughs> so yeah it's all it feels like it's just like you said at the start. It feels like we're trying to, they're trying to propel us as quickly as possible into the making of The Godfather and fuck it if that means we don't get to explore what these characters are up to in their day to day lives. Yeah, yeah. It's because it's like, I guess we're just covering so much of this ground here that, yeah, we have to get into it. Cause yeah, he even, he gets on the lot, he talks to Bob Evans, he smooth talks him. And, you know, Bob Evans has to correct him. Like, don't say bit parts. I was with J James Cagney. And, you know, but he also he likes this guy's gumption. It's clear he kind of sees a, a, a little upstart go-getter. Um, and then he also, like, immediately gets a, you know, movie going. Although, at least it fails. We don't really, like, hang on it too long. But at least there's, like, a failure there. Like, he gets this movie so, made. Yeah. And no Sorry, one comes on. to see it, like, I guess, because he gets it made under budget. Um, and even that, it's like, I guess we are zipping through time. So maybe he did work on the show for five years because he's talking to Robert Redford about maybe doing this movie. And then it's like, we're at the premiere and, uh, you know, no one showed up. And, and like his girlfriend's trying to blame the marketing. He's like, it's not the marketing. He understands it's the picture. And, he, you know, you got to he's got to find his next win or else. He could lose this movie produ producing dream that he just came up with once he lucked into TV. 
Yeah, we get to see, as he's trying to talk to Robert Redford, etc., we see some of the making of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is uh, one of my, uh, well, it's a, it's a favorite movie of mine. Um, so that's kind of fun. I'm kind of torn on a lot of, like, there's a lot of references to cinema and stuff, and mm. some of it feels like it's justified. He goes there to talk to the person, but then there's also like, just, like, randomly... Yeah, I don't know. Things that are shoved in there a little bit. Um, well, because, yeah, I mean, he, they almost get it with Ruddy talking about, like, the cinema experience. Because it's like, mm. yeah, I mean, we should be, we're kind of like the target audience for, you yes. know, we, we talk Very about much. TV shows, we talk about movies sometimes, and, like, we're interested in how these things get made and, like, the drama behind it. And I mean, I love me a good speech where someone's going to talk about, you know, sitting in the theater as a story's unfolding and everyone's reacting. But it just, I, I like the, like, I'm fine with most of it until he says, I'm like, I really got upset when he's like, it's the only time I saw my mother cry. I was like, what, whatever. And then when he has his, his new secretary or assistant or whatever, and she's like, hallowed ground, you know, this is where blah, blah, blah happened. This is where, blah. and I've been on studio tours, so I agree. But it just kind of comes off more as phony. Like, for whatever reason, it's just not hitting where it should hit for me when they're doing these, you know, the the all great cinema production speeches. Yes. Yeah. And after he does his little failed film, uh, he's got to find a winner. And in order for him to do that, we have to take a step back because mm. earlier in the episode, we meet Mario Puzo. And um, it's kind of, I, I feel like you made some r similar reference to how they talk, like how Tony Soprano isn't like, hey, I'm a, I may be a garbage guy, but I'm also a mobster. <laughs> like, you know, you don't have to say everything outright. It feels yeah. like within a minute of our first scene with Mario Puzo, uh, his wife is like, do you ever think about writing a mafia book? Yeah. Which is just a hilarious line in a show about the Godfather where it's like, how dumb do you think we are that we need yeah. to be handheld to the conclusion that this guy is going to write a mafia book? It's not necessarily that bad in itself, but it feels like everything is a little bit on the nose. And uh, like we, we build up, we don't build these characters as anything more than the function they fill in the plot, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, even because I rewatched some of it and I, because I thought the same thing, but it's actually like, there's two characters. There's a, his agent and then his wife. But I, when I first watched it, I thought they were the same character. But then <laughs> I realized, yeah. yeah, at first his agent is like, they really peaked up. Everyone was like, their interest peaked when you talked about the mafia part. And he's like, ah, oh, what am I going to write, a mafia book? And then he goes home and talks to his wife. And he's like, these people are criminals. What am I going to write about? And then she's like, what? But they're like us. You know, they pay bills. Um, and I'm just like, oh, is this really how this guy's life was? <laughs> Is this his life? <laughs> uh, I mean, I read up a bit on him. And, yeah, I mean, the stuff where he owed money is true. Like, he was in the hole with a lot, with debt. He was getting advances on his previous books. He got, like, 3200 bucks for that book that was kind of about his mother that they reference uh, that he was at the reading for. And then... Um, to him, he didn't want. He, it is true that he didn't want to write about the mafia. He considered it as selling out because yeah. he thought of himself as more of a literary person, and for whatever reason, he just looked down upon it. But it still took him years to write, so he, you know, obviously it was the right choice. Um, and yeah, so I mean, there's some stuff there. It's just like a, they, it's just clunky delivery and how they do it because again, they're trying to do all this stuff at the same time. Uh, whereas it probably should have been broken up or spaced out a little bit more. 
Yeah, because you say it took uh, years to to write, but I feel like yeah, fifteen minutes in, he's got it written. Like half an hour in, we've gone from the book signing when there is absolutely no one to enormous queues because there's all this buzz about this book, even though I guess it hasn't come out yet at this point. And we check in with the mob, so we know that they're upset about this book coming out. Sinatra's upset because there's a character that's kind of him-ish in it, um, and yeah so yeah. stuff progresses from there yeah stuff starts to heat up so yeah we got the book and then it was a thing where i was reading about how paramount was able to just kind of buy the rights early um mm. and then yeah it was like ten thousand dollars or something and then i think there was a promise if the movie got made he'd get 50k and people in puzo's life were like that's low don't take that and he was like i'm broke <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> uh and and I mean, as far as the book goes, I was reading a little bit about that at the time when once it sold to uh, a, like a publisher for paperback, uh, it was the highest sale ever. Like it was four hundred and ten thousand mm. dollars. And Puzo was the type of guy where he got advances like he got an advance and then he took his family to Europe on a trip and he didn't tell his wife that when they got home, they're going to have to sell their house. Uh, but it like in a classic fashion he it was dumb luck like he got home and he's thinking he has to sell his house and his agents like yeah we just sold the uh the paperback rights for four hundred and ten thousand dollars and he's like give me a hundred grand and then three months <laughs> later he's like give me another hundred grand <laughs> so just it, they, and they talk about how he didn't know how to like have money he'd go to the library and they didn't have a book he wanted and then he'd remember like oh i can go buy the book um so it's kind of like interesting interesting dude um but yeah, you know, th- we don't see any of that in the show. Uh, we just, we know that he has diabetes and his wife's like, oh, Mario, you must eat better. You have to eat the lettuce. You have to eat salad, not like a nice pasta dish like our good friend Ruddy. Yep, uh, because <laughs> Ruddy goes to visit. He's interested in doing the thing. Yeah, as you said, Paramount picks up the rights uh, for it relatively cheap uh, in this uh, episode another uh, company I forget which one is oh, trying to buy the rights. Well, yeah, Warner Brothers. I do like mm. this part. I like this idea yeah. that it's a pissing contest, and it's like we don't really want it, but uh, okay, we want this now because you want it. Like they pitch that owner guy is like, uh, I'm better than Warner Brothers, and it's like, oh, we we only want to do something because you want to do something with it, and if it's worth a million to you, then you, you know I like all that idea, like the way that plays out. It's the first time in the episode that it feels like there are any stakes because <laughs> they've now turned down an offer of sure money. So to, uh, on a bet that they're going to be able to make even more money off this, and we they've already emphasized the studio finances aren't amazing. So then it ends up with Ruddy because no one else wants to produce it within the budget that they're offering, like a relatively low budget, I guess. So he ends up being the one to actually produce The Godfather because the goal is they still need to make it with a relatively low amount of money even though they're expecting that it, it should be able to turn around and get you more than that so he but because it's such a big uh picture uh they have to get he has to convince the money guy who i guess owns the studio and everything we heard that clip from the beginning which is quite a good scene um and he has to start do, doing the actual wheeling and dealing himself ruddy and talk to mario puzzo and and become pals with him and convince him to write the screenplay even though everyone says you don't get the writer to write the screenplay if you're it's an adaptation yeah. 
even though this is another one of those he was right all along things like like everything that ruddy says um in that yeah i do like that there's uh kind of an immediate setback at least in that Mario Puzo is just like I can't do it why did I agree to this even though he be like that's the one thing I like about uh, him in this that he's just like absolutely I I'm the only one who can write the screenplay and then like <laughs> yeah. I can't do it yeah I don't know I just sit down I can't do it I, I should never have signed up for yeah. this and there's like and we know now there are stakes because there's this bet essentially that they're gonna make all this money from it and I think that's where the kind of like um where that's this is where stuff gets where I don't want to just outright sh- trash it because I feel like once yeah. we, things are in place, it's interesting and yeah I'm perked up I'm I'm now getting invested because like you said we kind of have stakes now like it's not this shuffling of things to put them in a spot, um so it starts to it starts to like you see like oh, okay now I get where they're going with this um I did want to look up real quick so yeah uh, Charles Bloodorn who's the like the owner of Paramount. Um, he was a guy, he worked in 1946. He went to work with the Cotton Exchange, earning $15 a week. Um, he's from Austria, and details of his upbringing are unknown. Uh, he wasn't a, uh, let's see, a lot of things, including whether he was, he wouldn't say if he was Jewish or if he was Hollywood, blah, 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 whatever. Anyways, he formed a company that would make him a millionaire at 30. And he acquired Michigan Bumper, a small auto parts company that grew into Gulf and Western Industries, a conglomerate that ranked 61st in the Fortune 581. Um, and basically, the holdings of his company included Paramount Pictures, uh, Madison Square Garden, Simon & Schuster Publishing. So he was just Damn. like, yeah, a dude with a lot of money that just started acquiring these things. So, I mean, the show, they're not a, they're not like, going step by step with him thank god like they are with everyone else but i guess they do give a good they do a good job of showing us that like yeah he's peeking in but he doesn't quite understand the business as much as the people we're with um and he's yeah he's kind of the not necessarily the enemy but like the obstacle we'll have to run up to uh as we're trying to you know get approval uh to get the godfather made yeah yeah no it's uh it's interesting as you say things start to feel like they have a bit of stakes um and then yeah mario puzzo gets into a fight with frank sinatra pretty much at a club or whatever at a restaurant um and they're almost physically fighting um and then that's obviously a bad thing i guess and apparently Uh, he hasn't written anything that is a real story uh apparently and also the the line at the beginning when he's like in what would it, like an ice blue uh story about people you love apparently that really is the pitch that he gave mm. uh, cuz that's like an older story as well um so i mean that i maybe that's why things are a little bit more interesting um because you know things are starting to heat heat up and i mean this is the reason why they made this show cuz they want to get into some of this real sure. stuff like sinatra was upset about this movie and supposedly Mario Puzo's like it's not ba- like he really s- did stand by the idea it wasn't based on Sinatra but then to everyone else it's like it's so clear <laughs> that it is so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um yeah and and also Ruddy meets Francis uh Ford Coppola yeah. um and 
it basically convinces has to convince him to take the take on the movie and then has to convince uh bob evans that he's the right person for it uh and they do a little like uh, a little they ambush him as well and like there's he's doing some producing at least ruddy's doing some yes. things at this point you yeah. know and they 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 don't uh, they should be mining this more, but you start to see a little bit of like his, uh, like him being new and not understanding the rules is working for him because he's doing yeah. things like I mean I guess they do kind of outright say it, so it is a thing, uh, like you know hi- hiring the the person who wrote the book even though you're not supposed to, or the way he just like shows up uh, to get Robert Redford. And I guess the the sticking point, and, and maybe the show does kind of point this out. The reason why they did pick him was because that movie was well under budget, so mm. like that's what it came down to. Like, oh, it, it didn't do well, but you didn't overspend, so we like that. So here, do something with this. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's a nice scene towards the end of the episode where, like these char- these three characters are uh, three plus the three main characters uh, of the creative field of Ruddy and uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo. They're all making dinner together and hanging out because they have this house set up for uh, the actual like pre production and working on it. Um, and you know it's nice they they're becoming friends. They're working on something creative. Like why wouldn't I be on board with this as a person who also likes doing those sorts of things? Yeah. So you know definitely hints throughout the episode of an interesting story and interesting dynamics and the setting is good. It's just yeah it feels like it's a it's somehow rushed and yet we don't. I don't know. It's it's the pace is kind of off in this first episode, and then it ends um, with the mobsters who we've <laughs> yeah. seen intermittently uh, talking about how it's a horrible thing that this book is, you know, de- defaming Italian Americans. This is very The Sopranos, by the way. Totally, like it's inter- it's it, and I think it is accurate that it goes back this far as well. Obviously, from from what we're saying, but they're just like you know the slanderous portrayal of Italian Americans like Joe Colombo forms what 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 does he call his group the Italian defense uh, something or other um yeah what is Italian American Civil Rights League so we see yes. him proclaim that he's going to be starting that defending the good name of Italians everywhere even though he is an actual mobster like he's literally in the first scene it's the exact same as from the book The Godfather but he's like lies and slander you know um so it ends with uh well, Ruddy and his well oh, yeah, another great connection for Sopranos in that same vein is that, yeah, Sopranos had episodes where, you know, they were up. Obviously, there's the Columbus episode upset about, you know, the way they frame Italians. But then the Sopranos in the real world had people having that same discussion about the show and how it portrayed mm-hmm. Italians. And even to the point where there was that, like, New Jersey politician that, like, tried to block them from shooting, like, um, part of the Pine Barrens and then he was arrested for racketeering or some sort of like (laughs) organized crime like it is great how you know this is uh, like a real historical thing that is just keep repeating the the cycle repeats here we are another hypocrite talking about art but also being a piece of shit in real life like it's it's pretty great 
Yeah, that is good. And uh, I, I've only seen the pilot, but I, I was reading on the history of it. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what happens later on as well in that like the unions that have mob influences, they prevent them from filming in certain <laughs> locations uh, for The Godfather. So the exact same thing. Um, but the very last scene here of the episode, we have Ruddy and his secretary and someone comes up and I guess shoots, yeah, shoots through the back window of their car and then we cut to black. Yeah. And I I feel like, um, like the pacing issues we talked about are mostly because they wanted to get to this point by the end of the episode, you know, to show like, and now shit's getting real. But I'm like, the if... I, I like the other bits, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And this is just kind of a, uh, it's like the cliche, it's like a, you know, the, the cliffhanger. Like, you gotta, you gotta keep watching, you know? You gotta click for the next one. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's not gonna, what, are they gonna get shot in the head? <laughs> Already? The guy is yeah. still alive? Did he get shot in the head that night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're sending a message um uh maybe try to give him some kind of offer um yeah. we'll see that maybe, maybe they can't refuse maybe they know. will refuse it who knows they, they might they might refuse it um yeah so that's the offer episode one uh like you said maybe we'll we'll catch up on the season have another chat about it but i thought this might be a good intro as well because as you said like Often with shows we talk about, I feel like a lot of people haven't heard of it. Maybe I just don't talk to people, but it feels like a show you have to seek out. Like this show yeah. doesn't come to you. Uh, so I thought because because we have this feed, people might be interested. This should be a good intro and give you an idea of whether you want to catch up on it or not. And yeah, we might we might do the rest of the season. We might not. Mm, yeah. What are you going to do? Kill us? Yeah. You can't. What are you going to do? Shoot the back of our car out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, any final thoughts on the on the episode or the, this new show? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably said it a few times. But I'm going to reiterate again. Just that I know we're pretty rough on some of the problems we had, but I think it's getting to a better place. And like I said, I watched some of the other episodes, and I feel like thing like now that we're in it, like where they're making the movie, that's a little bit more interesting to me. So once they get the pieces on the board, things start to fall in place a lot better. So it's worth sticking with it if you kind of have a uh, interest, a small interest in it or whatever. So I'm interested to see how it finishes out. Cool. Well, you've convinced me to watch at least episode two, so we can go from there. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, before we go, just a reminder that you can always leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are very much uh, appreciated. You can also tweet at us. That's uh, on Twitter, at shows what you know, the letter U. Um, and beyond that, yeah, just tell a friend uh, about the show. Uh, maybe someone who likes The Sopranos, someone who hasn't watched The Sopranos yet, but who needs a companion podcast to get all the way through. We'll get him there. Um, and beyond that, I think there's just one more thing, Jim. Wait, wait, what's that? Cut to black. <laughs>